Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Let's take a few minutes to get into the Word of God. I just really, I just really want to talk to you tonight. Um, I feel like the Lord's been sharing with me and in my ministry how it's important that we we be who we are and uh, because preaching is nothing more than the deliverance of God's word through personality everybody's got a different personality but it is important to put yourself into what you're saying and tonight I just want us to look at this room as uh, just a place of relaxation where we can open our hearts and picture a fire going on in the fireplace and we already got the soft music, the atmosphere. But I want to talk about being battle ready tonight. As we are living in a very corrupt world, and I don't need to tell you that because everywhere you look, you see it, it's evidence. You can't even drive down the street without seeing the signs of, of sin. But God left you and he left me here for a reason. And that is to fight. To fight the good fight of faith, delivering the truth to those that will receive it. Not everyone will receive it. You know, I oftentimes I get so bewildered and maybe you'll, you'll agree with me when I say this, when I, I listen to the rhetoric sometimes on the news and some of the things they say, and I say that those things aren't, they're not even sane. They, they don't even make logical sense. How, how can they even say those things? How can they believe that? And then tonight as I was sitting here, I remember what the Lord said, because they receive not a love of the truth, God shall send them strong delusion that they might believe a lie. To me, I find it so evident that it's wrong. It's possibly because my mind has not reached a place of delusion because I love the truth. And if we ever get to a place where the truth is secondary to a schedule or some desire that we have for our lives outside of God and his word, we'll probably end up in the same situation that many of these people have. When they decided to start taking the word of God out of schools and out of the government, all of a sudden, they just got insane. It's just insanity. The thing that we're called to do is bring truth back to reestablish the word of God and the foundation that God intended to build this nation on. So I start tonight by reading from Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And Paul, of course, is writing to the churches of Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Not a partial, not just the helmet of salvation. Put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not 
against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authority, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, even in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And I, I close that, this portion of scripture with this verse. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he has given you a spirit of power and a sound <laughs> Sound mind. The Bible talks about in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 2, that we should renew, but, uh, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. I'm in the wrong chapter, Romans 12 and 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not the perfect will of man, not some plan that you've devised, but the perfect will of God. I'd like to go back about, I don't even know how many years now, I never did the math in my mind, but this is the year uh, 2019, and that year was 1972. That is almost 38 years. Is that right? Somewhere around there. And um, my brother's not here tonight, but we both took part in this. So if you remember in the 60s, a lot of things were going on in the war world. Uh, Vietnam War was in full swing. We were having race riots all over the country. The world was in turmoil. I and my brother was uh, just about 20 years old. And Liz will remember that. I don't know if you were married at this time in 72. No, they weren't married at that time. But he enlisted in the Army National Guard. 
And if you remember way back then, the draft was on, and I was going to be 18 during the draft. And so I followed my brother's footsteps. I followed him into church, and I followed him into the army. I guess I'm a good follower. Um, Now, some of you will know what this means when I say MOS, Motor Service, I believe it stands for. That's what your job is that they give you to train for when you enter into the service. I was 152 pounds, 18 years old, and when I, I got to Fort Lewis, Washington, I realized that they, were, they had chosen for me to be an M60 machine gunner. Let me tell you a little bit about that, that piece of equipment that I was trained on. I'm going to read it. It's been so long I couldn't even describe it. It's been 38 years, so I had to read it. The M60 is a gas-operated, air-cooled, belt-fed, automatic machine gun that fires from the open position and is chambered by 7.62 times 51 uh, mm NATO cartridges. Now listen to the rate of fire that it has. It has a silic rate of fire of around 500 to 650 rounds per minute. Now I figured it out with my math that 600 rounds a minute, that is 10 rounds per second. And when I would fire that M60, with tracers in it, it was like a a string that came from my barrel and it would go, I have the distance here, let me give you the distance a little bit, it was just like putting a string on what I was shooting at. Now, of course shooting at 650 rounds per minute, you had to change, if you were firing that fast, you had to change the barrel every 10 minutes. Now, the M60 machine gun was a two-man operation. One carried the gun, the other carried his own M16 and the ammunition for the M60, and it was a big ammo box. Um, The maximum effective range of that M60 was 1,200 yards with a bipod. And with... The tripod, it was 329 additional feet. So optimal range was about 3,900 feet. Now, I want to tell you, a mile is 5,280 feet. Um, Why am I telling you this? I have a reason and a purpose for telling you about this gun. These were very powerful weapons in combat, especially in Vietnam. The firepower of that, that weapon gave you oftentimes advantage over the enemy. But when you increase firepower, the the person that was handling the M60, even though he was able to give massive amounts of firing power out on the range, he became a target. Because the enemy will always go after the source of the most firepower. So I, as I began to learn about that, I became less intrigued about being the target. But let me tell you about the gun. It was 3 feet 7 inches long. And it was 5.9 inches wide. Almost 6 inches wide. 
Empty, uh, it was 23 pounds. Loaded, it was 28 pounds. Now, that doesn't sound a lot, a lot alike, uh, like a lot, but a gallon of milk is eight pounds. Just figure you were carrying almost three gallons of milk around with you. Um, now, that doesn't account for the ammunition and the tripods and the other things that went along with it. Now, I wanted to talk to, to Ben today because I, I, I couldn't remember all the equipment that I was required to carry along with that, but I started to go back and look at what other people carried in Nam, and it sounded right. The average weight that was carried by an infantryman in Vietnam was 85 pounds. That included two frag, frag hand grenades, two smoke grenades, one claymore mine, one helmet, of course, which was five pounds, and your boots, if you've ever worn army boots, they weren't light, your poncho and liner, uh, and, and of course your weapon. So if I took all the things that I was carrying along with my gun, not considering the ammunition, just what I carried, it was 113 pounds that was on my body when I traveled. I weighed 155 pounds. Now, I'm telling you this, because when I was all loaded up, I felt restrained. I first thought, how do they expect me to fight? I, there's no mobility. I feel confinement. If I throw myself on the ground, I got 100 pounds to pick up when I get up off the ground. Of course, when you're in danger, you never think about that. And thank God, and I'm, not, I'm just saying this, I never made it to Vietnam, so I'm not trying to say that I was there. I have a ton of respect for people that were there. My brother, uh, Dan was in Vietnam and was uh, seriously wounded by a hand grenade. But back in training and back when I came back to our unit, we still carried those things. Restraining. When we were in service, the thing that we were taught the most was to trust your training. Keep things maintained. Know how to clean your weapon. Clean it inside and out because your life depends, not your gun, never. You would never call it a gun. You called it a weapon. Trusting your equipment and trusting your leadership. The three most important things that they drilled into you and remember the one who's standing next to you. You're only as strong as the person that's standing beside you. When you go into warfare, you've got to know that your buddies got your back. What happens many times to the soldier that becomes complacent, he becomes a casualty. 
Complacency was something that everyone had to fight. I look at 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. I think one of the favorite people that I respect the most in the Old Testament is Jonathan. I used to think that David was my favorite, but as I I studied him more and more, I I saw some things that, especially when he got older, and I I said, Lord, I hope I never get crankety like that. But he, he led a great life, but he made serious mistakes. But I look at Jonathan, and Jonathan seems to exemplify all the good characteristics that David had without the failures. And what I'm reading from now is, uh, it's the beginning of a major conflict with the Philistines. The Philistines always oppressed Israel. It seems like everywhere you go back in the Old Testament, some Philistine or some king of the Philistine nation is coming against the Hebrews to keep them in bondage, to take away the fruits of their labor and their ability to defend themselves. In this particular skirmish, the Philistines have taken away every blacksmith. They had, the Hebrews had no capability to even make a sword. And when we begin to read in this chapter, we find out amongst all the Hebrews, there were only two weapons. One was in the hand of Saul, and one was in the hand of Jonathan. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 13. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. Now, I want you to look at the division of this. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah, of Benjamin. The rest of his people he sent away, every man to his tent. Now considering the bondage that's in place, why would you send people away unless you had no intention of fighting? Jonathan, however, is aggressive spiritually as well as in the physical sense of his nation. And Jonathan in verse 3 attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. Now notice the size. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth Haven. Now I'm sure Saul's kind of sad that he sent the other people home. People were looking at leadership. Saul had claimed that he had attacked 
the garrison that actually Jonathan attacked, he had taken the glory for that victory, but now when he finds their response, he's trembling in terror, realizing that the numbers are against him. The firepower is really truly in the hand of the Philistines and not in the hand of Israel. Two swords, they're outnumbered, they're out uh, weaponized. They have, these Philistines have many more weapons than what the Hebrews have. Now notice what happens when leadership becomes indecisive or fearful. It travels down into those that are under leadership. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. I think about what Moses said to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord will go before thee. What they really needed at that time was not a king that would cower, but a king that would stand up and proclaim the promises that were given to Israel, even from Egypt. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him because there was no leadership, because there was no courage, because there was no word. People scattered. That's why the Bible says to the church, Preach the word. When the enemy surrounds you, when you feel like you're overcome, preach the word. There's power in the word. There's anointing in the word. There's guidance in the word. So what? since he's frightened and he doesn't know what to do, he's going to go through the act of of ministry, without the burden or the obedience of ministry. Samuel did not come at the exact time that he said he was going to come. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Saul, you cannot offer the offering. You're not a Levite. You're not a priest. He stepped into an office that wasn't his. And just as it would happen, now as it happened, so as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Obedience is always greater than sacrifice. Obedience trumps sacrifice. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. 
for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Saul acted in fear. When you have fear in your life, you do not have a sound mind. God never gave you of a spirit of fear. Remember that? But of a sound mind. Fear takes away spiritual guidance. It, it seems to drive it away. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him and about 600 men. If you go back to verse 2, he started with 3,000 men. He's down to 600 men. That's only one-fifth of what he had. When you lose courage, when you stop preaching the word, when you stop obeying God and just doing the ritual, to do the ritual, you will find a great decrease. Then Jonathan, his son, and the people present with him remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped at Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shul, and another company turned the road to Beth Horon, and another company turned the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zebulun toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim of the plowshares and so on and so forth. So when it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to pass of Michmash. Now what we're going to read in the 14th chapter is all about Jonathan's bravery. And I, I know that bravery was present, but I also believe there was spiritual discernment and guidance. He, only, he, he didn't have any real strong backup. Nobody had any weapons. There were people there, but they didn't have anything to fight, even if they would have followed him. There was just him and his armor bearer. His armor bearer carried his sword. So once he gave it to Jonathan, he was defenseless. So when he came to a company or a garrison of the Philistines, he wasn't looking at their number. He wasn't looking at the lack of the things that he had or who he possessed. I want you to listen to me. He wasn't taking inventory of the numbers. He wasn't taking inventory of the equipment. It would have been nice to have more equipment. He was taking inventory of God. He said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to call up to the garrison of the Philistines, and if they tell us that they're going to come down and show us a thing, we'll know that God didn't send us here. 
But if they say, come up here and we'll show you something, you know what, Mr. Armor Bearer? We're going to go up and we're going to fight. Well, I don't know if I, the armor bearer was saying, I sure hope they say they're coming down. But you know, his faith in Jonathan was so strong. When you're strong and of good courage, courage and you are focused on God, you instill that fear into all those that, or that courage into all those that are around you. And that's why I'm very glad that Brother Corals are going to be our new pastor and I'm, I'm looking forward to the installation because we need people behind the pulpit that present courage, trust in God, and the word of God because it will move from the pulpit to the pew and out the door into the streets. And people are looking for people that are not afraid. And so let's go back. I'm going to see if I can find um, verse 9. If they say thus to us, wait until we come up to you, then we will stand in our place. I'm in verse 9 of chapter 14. And go up to them, but if they say, Thus come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. This will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. <laughs> Jonathan said to his armor bearer, I can see him with a smile on his face with anticipation. Come up after me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. That's almost what happened to Jericho with Joshua. He says, the Lord has given us the city. That's the heart of someone that sees through God's eyes. He sees the battle won before he ever fights. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. What's he fighting with? His bare hands. They've got shields. They've got swords, but God gives strength to the weak. God can make the mighty weak and the few powerful. God is not restrained by numbers. God reacts to faith and to those that will follow him even into the valley of the shadow of death. But when your mind and your heart is stayed on God, fear seems to flee, and the victory is already processed, processed in your mind. The first slaughter with Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men with about a half acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison, the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. God fights for us. The battle is not yours, my friend. 
The battle is the Lord's. If we obey and if we put on holiness, what we think is constraining, what we think is hindering us in doing what God has called us to do in the fight, we will find that holiness, all those attributes provide the equipment and the essentials to overcome the enemy. God just caused an earthquake. You would think that Jonathan and his armor bearer would be quaking in fear, but that wasn't the case. The enemies quaked in fear. They're the ones that began to run because God sends his spirit and authority and power through nature itself and through the world, and he will fight through his own means. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there were the multitude melting away and they went here and there. There's just two people. Of course, the Bible does say that those had, that had defected to the, land, to the hands of the Philistines that were living in the camp of the Philistines, they turned and they began to fight. Those were the backsliders. Those were the ones that defected back to the world. They were living with the enemy. But if you get out there and you begin to preach and you begin to follow God's direction and you act courageously, the backslider comes back home. And those that are living in their dens and in their caves and they're not in church but they're hiding out, they come back too. They're waiting for a valiant church they're waiting for direction and the power of God to be revealed through the hands of his people. But you know, the backslidden king, he's concerned who started this mess. Instead of going out and fighting against the Philistines as God is causing them to tremble and flee, he's more concerned about who started this. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see what's gone from us. Who cares? And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Uh-oh, we're going to have to get involved now. And Saul said to Ojiah, bring the ark of God here. For at the time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. And so to, to sort of go on with the story, they go out and they begin to smite the Philistines. But Saul, he, his, his thinking is corrupt. He says, okay, today, during the battle, no one's eating. No nourishment. We're going to be, I'm going to lay something on you that God has not commanded me to lie on you, but this is something to show you that I have control Instead of giving them the ability to ingest food, which would have given them energy, he took away the thing that their body needed the most to fight. So that at the end of the day, instead of coming strong against the Philistines, they were tired. They had no more energy. Now, Jonathan wasn't there when his father made that command. He's, he's out there in the field of battle and he come, comes across a, a hive that was full of honey. 
And he was weary. Good reason. He's been, he's been busy. And he stuck his rod into the hive and he nourished himself with honey. And he said to those that were with him, take, refresh yourselves. And they tell, they'll tell Jonathan, you know, your father said that we're not to eat or take any nourishment. And Jonathan says, well, why not? We need strength for the battle. It's found out that Saul finds out that Jonathan took, took of the nourishment and he determined to kill him, his own son, who had wrought a great victory because of his jealousy. Jealousy was present. You know what? This isn't my church. It isn't your church. It's not Brother Cordell's church. It belongs to Jesus. He gets all the glory for everything that goes on. And when we start to think that it's our ability and we get jealous of revival coming through someone else, we start to make errors in judgment. Pride comes before a fall every time. I want to tell you that in your mouth you have power. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Back in around the early 2000s, I want you to humor me a little bit. I know some people think it's strange when I share some of these stories, but I want to tell you these are... They're, they're true. And I'm not ashamed to tell them. About in 2003, I was, um, and some of you have heard this story, but I want to tell it again. I was living in Eagle, and I had picked up our mail from the mailbox. And if you've seen our home, we have a 300-foot-long driveway. It's a long walk back to the house. And while I was walking back to the house, while I was awake and walking down the driveway, God gave me a vision. I can't explain it. I can't tell you how, how exactly it happened, but I was in the driveway, and the Lord took my mind to a different place, and he showed me something. He showed me I could see the house, but behind the house there was a huge storm with black rolling clouds, I don't know if you've ever seen him just rolling, coming in my direction. Strong, black clouds, tall. And they were coming quickly at me. And I realized that even if I started to run to the house, I could not make it before the storm engulfed me. And all of a sudden, I was, I was taken into the storm. But instead of being in what I perceived it was, I was above the clouds. And I was looking down. It was sunny and clear. I was looking down at the earth. And the Lord guided my thoughts. He didn't verbally say it, but I knew that he was directing me to speak to a particular animal that was on the ground. I spoke to it, and it ceased to live. He said, now speak to it again. And it lived again. And he 
he placed in my heart that you have power through the words that you speak to bind and to loose. Life and death are issues that come forth from the mouth. And so he took me to a place and I was on the ground and I I can't say that I, I saw him, but he said, what do you need for battle? What is it that you wish for battle? What equipment? And I was a kid once and I always wanted to be Superman. Matter of fact, my brother will attest that I jumped off the garage roof. Thank God I didn't hurt myself, but I always wanted to fly. But I didn't ask for that. And I don't know why I asked for this gift, but this is what I asked for. I said, God, I want the power to walk through walls. And all of a sudden, I didn't hear him say that you've got it. All I knew was that I had it. And here I was standing next to a wall. And I said, I'm going to try it out. And I walked into the wall and nothing happens. I, I was pushing on the wall and I said, God, I thought you gave me the gift. But he said, keep pushing. I realized that if I had to walk through this wall, I had to expend my own energy to force my way through it. What was designed to keep me out could not keep me out. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. In other words, God has given us, all of us, the ability to walk through those gates that restrict the growth of God's church. It's a gift. You have the gift to loose people from things by the words that you say. Encourage one another. Lifting up one another in the most precious faith. You have power in what you say. Those were two elements that God emphasized to me. So that no matter what came into my life, and some things did come into my life, and God showed me that if I kept on persevering, I could make it through the tribulation. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. There's not a wall that's built. There's not a problem that is so great. There's not an adversary that is so strong that the church of God cannot overcome it, but it involves perseverance. It involves struggle. The kingdom of God, again, suffers violence. You're going to fight. You're going to have to fight. But the violent will be able to take it by force. No, Brother Russ, I'd... I wish that all of a sudden God would just bring a couple greyhounds up here for people from a wealthy neighborhood and have all these people as they walk through the door, they just fulfilled the Holy Ghost and came in and they were all just great. But that's not the way. We're going to have to fight for every inch of ground. I, I remember some of the battles in Vietnam that they talked about and how they, they fought for feet For yards, every step they took, they had to struggle for, and they lost lives to gain 
a few yards of ground. And they would say to themselves, the soldiers, and they would come back and tell me, was it really worth the hundred yards that we gained for the loss that we lost? And sometimes in the church, we're counting the loss and wondering if it's worth the gain. But friend, you need to see the, the battle as a whole. We are a church collectively on the earth. Sometimes we gain in one area and we might be driven back in another, but the battle is going to be won. And we may lose people alongside of us. Not just to leaving. They might succumb to disease or things that were common to man. They might go through hardship. But the Marines said, what did they say? What's the saying? No man left behind? No man left behind. Nobody's left in the field. If you have to, you're going to carry them back but don't you dare leave them behind. And when we can look at each other that way, we will be successful and we will do valiantly. So the Lord gave a word picture in Luke the 10th chapter, verse 18. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I want you to look at this first and see the reference to snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. The word snakes and scorpions is referring not to snakes on the ground or scorpions. They're not necessarily our enemy. He's referring to those things in the realm of Satan. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I, when I, I looked at Luke 10... And then I looked at Mark 16. Jesus again says to them, he said unto them in verse 15 of Mark 16, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. All these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. I don't think that's talking about a snake. I think that's talking about a, a, a reflection of Satan's kingdom. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. I sometimes think that it's not talking about poison like some would preach. Well, if I drink a bottle of poison, I shouldn't die. Or I should be able to pick up a rattlesnake and get bit by a rattlesnake and not die. I think he's talking about the poison of the enemy. And every day, 
There's poison sent out through the radio waves, through the television sets that we have, through the radio broadcast. Sometimes those things get into us. But if my heart and mind is stayed on God and I have a regenerated mind, it shall not kill me. I hear the same thing that others hear. But it does not kill me as it does some other because God has put his word in my heart and in his law doth he I meditate day and night. I shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water and whatsoever I do, I shall prosper. I'm using it in a personal sense. He's given you power to overcome those things that enter in through your ears. The things that you have to handle. You're in an unclean world. It does not have to destroy you. So what's he saying? Don't be afraid to go out and get dirty. You're going to pick up serpents. You're going to get involved in some things that might kill others. But you need to go where the people are and be not afraid to bring them in. Preach the word throughout the world. The gospel to the entire world, to every person. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the word working with them, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. You know what? I, I love God because, um, oh, how do I say one reason? A thousand reasons. But I love him for salvation, of course. But I love him because he's a true friend in my life. It's not that we talk on Wednesday evenings or Sunday mornings. It's that we're talking all the time. And there's times when I'm talking to him that I become so emotional that I just weep. Do you know what I'm saying? He's a great friend. I love my God not just because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's a friend that sticketh closer even than my own brother. And he said, you know what? When you're walking through the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death, fear not for I am with thee. I'm with you. Sometimes I've said, God, I just want to check. Are you here? <laughs> just want to know. No, no big deal, God. Just got to know that you're standing by me because if you're standing with me, I'm not afraid. I've told you this before, and in closing, I'll just say, uh, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, back in the 60s, was The Rifleman, Chuck Connors. And I, for the life of me, I can't think of his son's name now, but um, Mark. Yeah, you guys like it too, I can tell right now. Everybody said Mark. In one of his, his uh, ending series, Mark sings a song to Chuck Connors. And I won't try to sing it to you, but 
it went this way. My dad, now here is a man. When I was small, I felt 10 feet tall when I walked by his side. Everyone would say, that's his son. And my heart would burst with pride. My dad, now there is a man. And you know what? I'm not ashamed of him. Matter of fact, I'm just proud to walk by his side. And when he starts to put heavy equipment on me that sometimes I feel is restrictive and I wish I could get rid of because I just don't have the mobility that I I might have otherwise, I realize that he placed those things on me so that when I encounter different things in my life, that I have the tools to overcome them. I used to think a claymore mind, mine, really, God? Or really, Captain? A claymore mine? When am I ever going to use a claymore mine? You know, those, pe- those soldiers in Vietnam used them, and they were glad that they had them. They thought they were just carrying a useless piece of thing uh, of luggage upon on their belt. But everything that they they were they received, they appreciated. And so I I say to Brother Cordell, preach the word. Don't be afraid to put things on us that, that will help protect us as God gives you guidance. I'm not ashamed of who I am in God. And uh, that's where I'm going to end tonight. I think I've said everything I need to say. But isn't he wonderful? He's the best thing that ever happened to you. I, I'll leave on a note of humor. I usually tell my wife, because you know what a sad sense of humor I have. I am such a bad tease. I said to her, I, don't you think I'm the best thing that ever happened to you? I told you, it's a sad sense of humor. And she says, no, God is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, that is the right answer. God is the best thing that ever happened to you in your life. And don't you ever forget it. And don't you ever desert it. All right, could you stand with me? Lord, as I stand here tonight, I feel you standing right next to me. And it gives me such comfort and security knowing that when I walk through the doors of this building and I walk back out into the darkness of this world, that I never have. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.